Welcome back to Screen Time. I'm Ro Khan. I'm Richard Roper. Before we tell you about the best television that is now 40 years old, mm. as we spend the summer looking back in many ways, retrospecting uh, some of the things from our past, yes. I would like to tell you about AmericanEagle.com studios. They are the greatest studios podcasters could ever work for. I would like to say that first, but because it comes from AmericanEagle.com, which believes that the digital landscape is changing rapidly and to compete in today's business environment, you need an experienced partner. And since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, development, e-commerce, mobile apps, digital marketing. It drives your overall business success because they believe that today's online world is your opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com today to get started. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you... You know, we just last week talked about the greatest films... Came out in the summer of 82. From summer of 82. And you think about the television that came out in 1982. These are all TV shows that debuted in 1982. Many of them were long-running hits. A couple of them were only on the air briefly, but still have a lasting impact on the on the popular culture. And Cheers is a, is a classic example, Row, of a show that uh, when it debuted was almost last in the ratings and almost got canceled and then went on to become one of the longest-running, biggest sitcoms of all time. And not just influential in its style, but every one of those actors yeah. went wow. on to incredible things. You know, just just these, you know, five or six main characters sitting around a bar, behind yeah. or in front of a bar. Unbelievable when you think about it. And Ted yeah. Danson, you know, <laughs> who, you know, I <laughs> absolutely love. He's, he's kind of reinvented himself over and over yeah, and over really again has, yeah. throughout his career because yeah. he had to realize, you know, he is like too big and good looking to actually be taken seriously as a comedian. Yeah. But that's what he really is. So now he you know he goes off now into that Larry David Netherworld. Yeah. Right. To just make fun of it. Where he plays like asshole Ted Danson, who's <laughs> not at all and has done variations on that. Uh, the Good Place, he was amazing in that. And at the time, what was great to think about this, too, as you mentioned, Ro, these were not known actors. So we believed him, even though, you know, we believed Ted Danson got the the mannerisms of an ex-athlete down. He was Sam Malone, who had been a pitcher for the Red Sox. So it would make sense that he'd open up a Boston bar because, mm -hmm. you know, he, he wasn't a great pitcher, but he was on the Red Sox. That's good enough, right? Right. And, but he was an alcoholic, which was what ruined his career. And that was also the, you know, kind of the interesting thing. Alcoholic who buys and runs a bar. So, you know, you saw him drinking water throughout. And then, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Shelley Long, Norm Norm Peterson was played by the great George Went, uh, Cliff Clavin, the know-it-all uh, mailman, John Ratzenberger. And then these characters that would come through the years, uh, you know, after Coach, unfortunately, uh, uh, the actor who played uh, Coach, Nicholas Colasanto played Coach, the who was a, a coach with Sam Malone, who became the beloved bartender. And he unfortunately passed away, and they found Woody Harrelson to play Woody. You know, they even gave him the same first name and look at the career. Talk about someone that oh, you, you never thought expected. was this country yeah. bumpkin from yeah. Indiana and turned out to be this great dramatic actor. But then they introduced all these characters, you know, after Shelley Long left, then Kirstie Alley came in playing Rebecca, a new love interest. 
And I would say, you could argue that maybe this, in addition to being a great sitcom that ran for 11 years, Ro, maybe spawned the greatest spinoff of all time in Frasier. Correct. Because that's how Fraser Crane was introduced to us, right? Right. You know, as a regular at the bar with Lilith. Because <laughs> you know, he originally was going, to marry, he was going to marry Shelley Long's uh, Diane Chambers, and that right. you know, fell apart. And man, did that thing go off and, and become, again, both of these are in top 50 sitcoms almost any time there's th- those types of rankings. Yeah, it is. It, it's spectacular. You can watch it over and over and over again. It's, again, timeless writing. Yeah, yeah. It's like going back into like, you know, great films from the 40s, 50s or 60s. Yeah. And you're like, man, they're just like us. Like today, kids can watch that and you'll recognize every character. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it's the classic and it wasn't the first workplace comedy. Obviously, that goes back to the Dick Van Dyke show and probably even before then. Uh, Barney Miller, if you will. But when you look at The Office and Parks and Rec and so many other shows right. since then, it's the Cheers model. You, you find a place and that the brilliance to me uh, of Cheers was a bar. So you could always have somebody coming and going because it's a bar. Right. Easy way to introduce a yeah, guest star. Exactly. You know, who's going to come through the door? I bet we've been together for a million years. And I bet we'll be together for a million more. It's like I started breathing on the night we kissed. When I can't remember what I ever did before. Ties, also on NBC. And by the way, we should mention, too, in the kind of the grand scheme of this, NBC, which had gone through in the 1970s, what was the end of days? It was a thermonuclear implosion, not Mm -hmm. explosion, implosion at NBC. They were just they could not put anything worth half a shit on television killed in the 1970s. They super trained. That was, I started debacle, right? right. I started working for NBC, my first gig out of college. Wow. And it was, (laughs) it was the super train model that they would call it. Like, Hey, remember we're the network that brought you super train, which was the great, they, you know, there was something that they'd spent a billion dollars on or something. It was supposed to be like an airplane, like procedural, series yeah. except it took place on a train on a fast train which made it not interesting because in nobody could get off and on like they could at cheers <laughs> nobody could open the door if you open the door you'd be out of the truck well, they're like they already have a boat on abc the love boat what and are we gonna do yeah. we have a train yeah. it was uh tartikoff brandon who tartikoff. brandon tartikoff who came on board at nbc i think he had been a, a previously an abc executive mm-hmm. i could be corrected on right. that he you know came on board and he just changes everything and he green lights this and family ties and the Cosby show and all the rest of the things that, that really became these generational hits. Yeah. And the, you know, the brilliance of family ties you mentioned in, in last week's podcast, how the eighties really didn't start till around 82 or so we were right around the, the Reagan administration, obviously. So the, you know, the brilliant conceit of family ties, it was sort of the opposite of all in the family. We're all in the family in the seventies. You had the hippie son-in-law and the old school conservative father-in-law, Archie right. Bunker. Now you had these two hippie parents and they were horrified to find out that their son, Alex P. Keaton, was this hardcore conservative. And what nobody saw coming when they put that show together was that the 
son would become the huge breakout character, Michael J. Fox, because he was so great. Because that it's like one of those things where same kind of thing happened with All in the Family, where people are like, don't love him that much. <laughs> You're not supposed to love Archie Bunker that much. And you know, Alex P. Keaton was not the you know the racist, sexist bigot that Archie Bunker could be. Uh, but he was this conservative, but he became the breakout star of that show. Right, right. And he did it so perfectly. It was so seamless in what he was. And he is, it's interesting because, as we know, Michael J. Fox is, you know, a diminutive guy, yeah. right? So he could play a 17-year-old yeah. till about 30, 30. 31. Yeah. You know, famously at the time, uh, Eric Stoltz, who we mentioned in last week's podcast because he is one of his first roles was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Eric Stoltz had been cast in Back to the Future and it wasn't working for whatever reason. He's a great actor. I mean, he's done a lot of he had mask a few years later. So but they fired him basically from Back to the Future and hired Michael J. Fox, who could still play Marty McFly, not in just that movie, but the subsequent sequels. Because he, And so he was famously shooting Family Ties during the day and Back to the Future at night and had an explosive moment then when the movie came out. And there's a dirty little secret, too. They, they base it in Columbus, Ohio. Family Ties. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, that, what, how many things have ever been based in Columbus, Ohio, in huh. terms of like a you know, big TV show or movie or whatever it is? Well, Columbus, Ohio... Uh, was and still is to some degree a gigantic test market for the nation. Uh, and they were testing interactive cable in really? the early 1980s. Okay. It's called the Cube. And it was a, a way to, it was like the early concept of on-demand video and other other kind of interactive things where you can order things through the cable. Uh, that And and mm. so the... Wow. so. As part of the ingenious nature of not only uh, this great production team that put Family Ties together, but mm-hmm. also NBC, thought, you know what we got to do is <laughs> we got oh, to a little stop to Columbus, Ohio, because this thing will become an instant hit. How about because that? Because Columbus, Ohio is, you know, it, it's as goes Columbus goes the state of Ohio. And, there you go. And it was, again, uh, just a little bit of the magic behind them. And we'd be remiss if we didn't mention uh, Justine Bateman as Mallory. Oh, Mallory. Oh, everybody had a crush on Mallory. Yeah. And she, and she was wonderful in that. And continues to do all, she went to school and got all these advanced degrees, Justine Bateman, and now does directing and everything. And I heard from her about something maybe two or three months ago. And I have to admit, there was a part of me that was going like, Mallory, that's awesome. <laughs> I know. You know. And uh, her brother went on to do something, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, he's in the Ozark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he, he, he had some arrested development problems. I think he, what did, they brought him onto the show, if I'm not Jason, mistaken. They might have. Well, he was doing the Hogan sitcom thing, too, at the time. The two of them were both, you know, they were pulling a lot of money there for the Bateman family. Yep. I don't think that went real well with the parents. It was one of those stories. But uh, they're both doing wonderfully well now. All right, so now back to an attempt to round off the 1970s and 1982 television, mm-hmm. Night Rider. Night Rider. A shadowy flight into the dangerous world of a man who does not exist. Michael Knight, a young loner on a crusade to champion the cause of the innocent, the helpless, the powerless, in a world of criminals who operate above the law. This was going to be the the, the way that we take action car based adventure whether it's you know police or just some sort of cool car being on television or being the very centerpiece of the action this is the way that we're going to do in the 1980s and everybody 
want to have this damn car because the car talked to you. Now, yeah. your car won't shut the F up. That's, that's a great point. I, you know, I didn't watch a lot of this one because it was so stupid, but it, it's one of those, first of all, uh, Hasselhoff, right? Yep. He was the guy. He was sort of like the $6 million man. He you know, like, rebuilt him, and then they gave him this fancy Pontiac uh, Firebird, right? right? The Trans Am. Uh, which had all these great uh, things. And I will also say this, that was the most unrealistic thing. Not that it could talk and think for itself, but that it didn't break down all the time. Because I had a Trans Am. And the Trans Am's magical ability was to pile up yellow receipts from the auto repair place. And it was never something like, uh, you know, no, no, problems, no big yeah. deal here. You know, we're just going to change a couple of filters. It was always like your engine block is cracked. <laughs> what? What's that going to cost me? All the money you have. Uh, Pontiac. Remember Pontiac? I, yeah, no, I did. I did love that. Time. Well, and you know, the, the Firebird before that, that was really cool, was the gold Firebird that James Rockford had. Yes. In the Rockford file. Right. That was a car. Right. And almost every great hour-long drama had an important car in it of some sort. Yeah. You know, Adam you 12, as you mentioned, the Rockford. All that, yeah, yeah, all yeah. that stuff. That, that was a well, 70s thing. So we had to do something now with a car in the yeah. 80s. Where we get, oh, the car will have a brain. It will talk. Right. And if it only knew what it was setting itself up for. <laughs> True. All right. And then, uh, and then, okay, you added this to the list, and I had totally forgotten about this show, but this actually ended up, this the short-lived show mm-hmm. on ABC Police Squad. Yeah. Starring Leslie Nielsen. Also starring Alan North. Tonight's episode, The Broken Promise. Yeah, this is from the guys who gave us Airplane and... Police Squad, yeah, I think it, it ran for like four or five episodes, and it was a parody of all those kind of old-fashioned TV cop procedurals like Dragnet, whatever the case may be. It, mm-hmm. it, you know, for whatever reason, it didn't catch on. But again, we talked about how Cheers, you know, gave rise to Frasier as a, as a spinoff, but the Naked Gun movies were based on Police Squad. Right. It didn't go the other way. It didn't go the other way around. Way, right. Yeah. TV two film, because they loved him, and Leslie Nielsen, because of Airplane. You know, he hit so yeah. hard because yeah. of Airplane, which came out, what, a year or two before this. Right. And it was like, you had to have him in this. And these guys, it was, a, if you watch it now, again, there's very few episodes. I think you can find it. On, yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they run it on some of those TV, yeah. you know, old time TV. Or 2B has it. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah, Something yeah. has it now. And, and you look at it and go, wow, I can't believe this was on network television. And by the way, the executives felt the exact same way. Yeah, apparently so. But, you know, it's it, and you can catch those episodes. Very funny stuff. All right, to some of the more important prestige television from 1982 that premiered that amazing year of both film and television. But first, let's talk about some chocolate cake. I think it is time to tell you about Portillo's. Okay. The greatest single fast casual cuisine experience you're going to have anywhere on the planet Earth. Right down to the poppy seed bun. You're going to enjoy it so much because it's one of the million great ingredients that Portillo's uses, whether it's the Italian beef or the sausage or the legendary chocolate cake. 
that's just all the beginning. Mm -hmm. The fries, the salads, the chicken. I'm telling you, if you have Portillo's. The burger. It, the burger's great. Yes. That's right. and, and you can get beer at the Portillo's, too, if you go nice. into the store. Nice. I'm just going to tell you right now. If you have a Portillo's near you and you've not eaten at a Portillo's before, let's say you live in California, Arizona, or Florida, where it's relatively new, you want to check it out. Take the Row and Roper endorsement here. It's one of the finest experiences you're going to have ever in that kind of a food environment, like fast casual. You know, it's not exactly fast food. You can sit down. It's nicer, but it's super great. Portillo's.com, P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S.com. Ask your friends in Chicago about it, Portillo's.com. is the theme to Newhart. Not the Bob Newhart show, Newhart. When they premiered this in 1982, I thought, well, you know, the Bob Newhart show had just gone off the air a few years prior. Yeah. How are you going to be better than the Bob Newhart show? Yeah. How is it yeah. possible that you could ever, how is it possible you could ever one-up that? And they kind of did. They kind of did. So, the, you know, the famous Newhart show from the 70s, he was the psychologist, right? right. In Chicago, Evanston, or whatever the case may be, Chicago area. Which is, again, a great workplace sitcom. And the conceit here was that he has a guy that was a kind of, a, I think, a, a travel author, right? And he decided to open a, an inn uh, in Vermont with his lovely wife, you know. And so, again, great way to have characters come in and out, check into the inn and, and all these great situations. And, of course, then gave rise to one of the most famous series finales of all time. Oh, yeah. And sorry, we're going to spoil it again, but... Uh, he wakes up in the last episode and in bed next to him is his wife from the previous TV show. And he goes, I dreamed that I owned an inn in Vermont. It's <laughs> great. Right. It is great. So self-aware. But again, a really sweet comedy, too. You get, yeah. It proves you can be sweet and interesting. That's what kind of Bob Newhart's you know, entire brand was. Sweet and interesting and quirky all at the same time. But but just funny as hell. That was a show I, I was just getting... I think junior year in college, something like that. So when I would come home, you know, that's the kind of show you'd, you'd watch with your folks, you know, yeah. even at that age. Cause it's like, it was still funny, but it was definitely a, a parent's type of show, right. very comfort viewing, but you weren't going like, Oh God, it wasn't like you were watching, you know, the Lawrence Welk hours. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. No, it was it was kind of the Andy Griffith of the 1980s yeah, yeah. is what it was. It, it made you like sort of, it was, a kind, it was yeah. a kind show. It was smart and it could have an edge to it, but basically about good people. Golden Girls it was kind of the pickup from that. You know, that's that was a show that now made that a little bit more edgy and adult. Yeah. The same kind of concept, you know, it was a single set and everybody, you could watch it with your grandparents or you yeah. could watch it, although they would all laugh about the sex jokes and that. Well, what we didn't know at the time is I think all those actors were like 27. But yeah. <laughs> Playing the Golden Girls. Okay, not that. Well, not, not that all young. of them. No, uh, you know what I mean. Yeah, all I, right. I do know what you mean. <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> 
the theme from St. Elsewhere. Oh my gosh, what complete change this was from the hospital procedural that had preceded it in the 1960s and 1970s from Marcus Welby to Medical Center to things like that. And all of a sudden now St. Elsewhere takes you into a real urban environment with real problems in a hospital. And since St. Elsewhere, there has been a hit hospital show which is basically based on the same structure as St. Elsewhere on for the last 40 Absolutely. years. Absolutely, all the uh, House and Grey's Anatomy type shows and ER, right. of course. As, as you mentioned, St. Elsewhere was set in this Boston hospital that had fallen on horrible times. That's even the press derisively referred to it as St. Elsewhere. So you had this kind of gritty setting, you know, doctors and nurses who were overwhelmed, all kinds of crazy shit going on. And an unbelievable cast. You remember David Morris and uh, Alfred Woodard, Bruce Greenwood. And then you had, you know, a lot of actors who were just starting to make a name for themselves, including Denzel Washington. Right. Got his one of his first big breaks. Helen Hunt. Uh, Howie Mandel. Who, you know, to this day, you always say, oh, Howie, he's just so silly and everything. But he was really good right. on St. Elsewhere. But somehow they cast him after he was already doing those TV specials yeah. for Showtime. Yeah. In the... You know, like 1980, 81, and he was like, you know, blowing up condoms on stage. Well, maybe or, that was that medical glove. Maybe that's where right. he got the idea, or, or vice versa, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it was like, it was just such a wacky character, and then all of a sudden, they thought, oh, we're going to make him into a mainstream television character. But it was, it was brilliant. And you know, St. Elsewhere were not a hit because again, it had to change the formula in the same way that Hill Street Blues changed the cop formula. Yeah. yeah. St. Elsewhere, and it's basically, you know, the same concept here. Uh, different production teams, but but the idea of like let's make it smart, same kind of cinematic look to right. it, like almost an independent independent film look, right? And dealing with all sorts of issues, you know, Alzheimer's and depression and alcoholism right. and homelessness, and this is not only just the patients, but a lot of the doctors and staffers and nurses. Which again, as you mentioned, on Medical Center, on on Marcus Welby, MD, on those type emergency, which was about paramedics. They had perfect lives, as right. far as we knew. We didn't know much about their personal lives. They they just came in to solve everybody else's problems. Now we are seeing these procedurals Flawed. about very, which were very much more obviously reflecting real life. Right. Where even though you might think that they're God when they're walking through the door, your doctor or your nurse, they got as much shit going on, if not more, than you do. When there were sunsettings in elsewhere, and then they were introducing us to ER, mm-hmm. there was this whole movement like, oh well, that's who's going to want to watch that, yeah. and then boom. Because you, Anthony Edwards, who we mentioned before, mm-hmm. and uh, George Clooney, and, and Juliana Margulies, right? Yeah. It just all of a sudden it, it was just like a, and and again, it, it everything reflects its time. Yeah, right? television Definitely. is always about the zeitgeist. There's no way to get around it. So this is, except unless it's British television, and then it's the zeitgeist of 1781. <laughs> but this is like a most amazing. Go back and watch this. You can find I like all of these. You can find them. In different places, if you Google sure. them, and, and uh, I would never suggest this because I don't know what the copyright situation is. But <laughs> so every once in a while, you'll see a scene or two on YouTube, and it is worth just watching some of these people work, and especially yeah. William Daniels, who I think won the Emmy a couple of times yeah. Yeah. for St. Elsewhere, and just his, just you know, you're watching an actor at his very greatest, mm. a, a great character actor, absolutely.
<laughs> oh, they thought they were going to live forever, didn't they? Well, fame uh, was a big hit movie, right? About the you know the what is it? The New York School of Performing Arts right. and these kids who are all you know wanting to become actors and singers and and dancers and musicians. And then it, uh, we got the spinoff with Debbie Allen and a lot of great young actors. And it wasn't a huge hit, row, but I think you know it's an important show because again, if there's no fame, do we get glee? You know, generations later, you know, these kind of, you know, school of the performing arts, you know, which also always gave them an excuse then to do big production numbers, too. <laughs> and and again, you know, fame, I will give sure. it credit too. you know, a you know, diverse cast took on issues that you didn't always get in high school dramas and comedies. So it, it has a small but important place, I think, in television history. It does. And it does also, uh, it, as you as you point out. It leads to a lot of other things that came after it. The movie was probably more important, ultimately, yeah, right? Because yeah. it, it led to all of this. But you know, they tried. They tried. Yeah, yeah. It was a, you know it was an ambitious production, and maybe again a little much of a niche to become a huge hit. But uh, when you go back and look at that, there's some pretty cool sequences in that. It's also the Fiorello H. LaGuardia High School of Music and Art and Performing Arts, and I cannot think of an American historic figure that you would not want to name a performing arts high school after other than maybe Richard J. Daly yeah. in Chicago. I just, I don't know. Like, no, LaGuardia. The, the Nixon school of comedy. Yeah. Although <laughs> LaGuardia did read. I mean, that is true. Like during the depression or whatever, didn't he like, he like he read the Watt ads or something yeah, in the paper. He yeah. was like, you know, he got shot. I mean, I think, yeah. It didn't end well for him or his airport. <laughs> All right. And then, and then here's a, here's a quirky show. Again, if you've not seen this, you might want to go back and take a look at it because the cast turned out to be something square pegs. I told you this year we're going to be popular. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it kills us. Yeah, uh, Ann Bates, who was uh, a Saturday Night Live writer at a time when it was the boys club, and she was one of the originals, a, a great writer, and she put together this uh, sitcom, and kind of a sitcom drama, if you will, about eight freshmen, and uh, young Sarah Jessica Parker was the was the breakout star there. She was, you know, the kind of the, the nerd outcast, and then, like, Tracy Nelson was the popular girl. You know, you think about Square Pegs, 1982, so this was before... Uh, most of the John Hughes high school comedies. This is a decade and a half before Clueless. Those films, I think, were in some ways at least influenced or encouraged by Square Pegs. Again, not a huge hit, but but smart. And again, you know, when we think of the old sitcoms about kids in high school, it, you know, the high school was never the centerpiece. It was the Brady kids would sometimes go off to school. There was a show a million years ago called Room 222, which was actually pretty revolutionary. But Square Pegs, it uh, it kind of had a square peg in a round hole and it made it work. And you get to see a young Sarah Jessica Parker yeah, yeah. who was driven from, I don't know, Cincinnati or wherever she grew up by her parents out to, she tells the story all the time by going out to L.A., for the first time to you know go out and audition. She was kind of like this. the character she was playing yeah. in the freshman high school. And you can see even then the star, the sparkle in her, in just in her on-screen persona. Yep. The Rowan Roper Podcast is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. AmericanEagle.com is a full-service global digital agency providing best-in-class web design, development, hosting, digital marketing services, and so much more. Visit AmericanEagle.com today for more information. 
Thanks to Renee Nelson and Tim Alenius, our executive producers, and our new long-suffering production director, Brian Winger. We'll see you next time.